0: You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. Do you grow your own veggies? If you're patient and you've got full sunlight, you can grow all types of them, including root veggies like onions, carrots and beetroot, And fruit veggies, like tomatoes, green beans, and zucchinis. But what if you aren't patient, or you don't have a whole lot of sunlight? Leafy greens can give you a quick win in the garden, which is why I love them, especially when you supercharge them with a good fertiliser. This episode's sponsor is Charlie Carp, an Australian-owned fish emulsion fertiliser manufacturer that's helping to minimise the negative effects of pest carp species in our Australian estuaries. If you haven't listened to my episode with Ron Caponica about how Charlie Carp removes pest carp from Australian ecosystems and then turns them into full-spectrum, nitrogen-rich fertilisers, put episode 122 in your queue to play after this one. Michael Homan's a horticulturist that educates and inspires other gardeners through his Instagram channel, Gardening with Michael. He collaborates with Charlie Carp, and he's grown a lot of leafy greens in his time, so he's the perfect person to cover this topic for us. G'day Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you, so I guess today we're talking about growing leafy green veggies, and that's a pretty massive group of diverse plant species. So can you tell us a little bit about what do leafy green vegetables all have in common?
1: Uh, well, I guess the apart from sort of similar similar growing conditions, uh, the name suggests leafy greens it generally means that they're sort of characterized by plants uh, where you're actually eating the leaves rather than uh, any fruit that they may produce,
0: yeah, that's pretty spot on, I'd say. <laughs> and they don't have to be green, though. No, they don't have to be green. No, you can get
1: <laughs> definitely can get definitely get some other colours in there, lettuces and things like that. Definitely come in some other colours.
0: Mm, absolutely. So, what are some of the most popular leafy greens that gardeners, you know, we all love to grow? Uh, well,
1: I guess the, the the standard one is your is your salad greens. So your lettuces and things like that, which um, most most gardeners do enjoy growing, um, but you do also have other popular ones, things like spinach, uh, kale, uh, silverbeet or chard. Um, I'd say they're probably pre- pretty popular as well.
0: Hundred mm, percent. So, can you tell us what's the difference between like a heirloom variety and a non heirloom or heirloom variety? Uh, well, I guess heirloom
1: varieties uh, of veggies. Um, are typically from plants uh, plants that are more than 50 years old so they're generally passed down through seed saving so you can actually go through reputable seed seed purchases um, to, to, to buy those heirloom varieties to grow yourself um, and even some nurseries will create or, or grow the seedlings which you can actually purchase uh, already you know directly growing and ready to, ready to plant into the ground so you get a whole you get against the heirloom varieties there's a whole lot more to choose from than you would get at your standard supermarket, definitely.
0: Mm. And these are varieties that, you know, maybe our grandparents might have grown or their exactly. grandparents. Yeah, yes,
1: definitely, definitely. Things that some uh, things that lots of people probably have never heard of and have, haven't seen around. Um, so you can get definitely some interesting, interesting varieties.
0: Mm. And is there a bit of truth as well to the fact that, you know, these these? varieties have been around for a long time and they haven't been grown to, you know, be all uniform in shape or they haven't been necessarily grown for conditions within a supermarket. So I think, you know, from my experience anyway, sometimes those heirloom varieties can actually be a bit hardier.
1: Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that.
0: So are there any general rules around when to plant leafy greens or is it really just, you know, every species will have their own time of year when you plant or what's going on there?
1: Well, I think leafy greens, especially here in Australia, have um, are pretty synonymous with sort of winter winter growth so generally generally through the cooler months um, although you can you can generally grow leafy greens most of the year, um, but I would say that during the winter months is is when you 'll find uh, an abundance of them definitely
0: and I have uh, some low light in my courtyard, and I find that even through summer like sometimes I like to grow my leafy greens but when it comes to summer, you know, I just avoid kale or any cut type of brassica just because of those bloody white butterflies and the, yeah. the moths as yeah. well. They're just a pain. And I think any anyone who holds a whippersnipper and, and who has hit a white butterfly just knows how it, that feels. It's a really good feeling. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> so we can buy our seedlings at, you know, the local um, nursery or, you know, Bunnings or somewhere like that. But. We can also, you know, grow them by seed. So I guess we can skip this step if we're buying them, um, you know, at a nursery as a seed, at the seedling stage. But can you start off by telling us, you know, in terms of ways that we can plant our seeds, how, how do we just direct seeds straight into the bed? I would, direct sowing
1: is a great way to go, um, especially if you are looking to save some money. Um, growing from seeds is a lot cheaper than and buying individual individual seedlings. Um, but you'll definitely find some plants prefer to be direct sown into the veggie bed. Um, they may not like things like root disturbance, or as they're growing, they're quite um, they're quite flimsy, or, or or they could you know break or tear or or you know be destroyed really easily. So it's um, a lot easier. To sow them directly into the beds, um, and then watch them grow and and nurture them from from the beds itself.
0: Mm. Yeah, so that's the easy way. So why would somebody spend a little bit more effort and even a little bit more money and get a seedling tray or set them, in, you know, set them up indoors? Well, I
1: guess with seedling trays, you can control the way that they're growing. So if you're setting it up in a seedling tray and you're setting it up indoors you can use the you know you can use the seed growing mix or whatever you want to use um, you can control the the temperature uh, of you know the air or you can you know put them on a heat mat or whatever the case may be and it lets them grow without the threat of being destroyed by you know a pest or a bird or something like that in in the in the veggie bed because obviously, when the seedlings are pretty um, are young, they can be pretty vulnerable. Um, and, you know, I always experience looking out the back window and seeing a blackbird digging around in my veggie beds, and <laughs> you know that they've gone straight for those brand new seedlings. So um, can be a little bit annoying at times.
0: Mm. And, you know, I think we're pretty blessed here in Melbourne. I think that there are places that get even colder. But, mm-hmm. you know, through the winter as well, those frosts can damage our seedlings too.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely and it's a good way to start you know it's a good way to start plants so you know say at the end of end of the winter season you want to get so, get a head start on growing some plants so you can grow them in a seedling tray stick them in a greenhouse or on a windowsill so you can get them to a good height before you then stick them out into the veggie bed once the weather has warmed up a little bit
0: totally so let's just assume now we've got our seedlings ready to plant you know they've grown we put them in our uh, seedling trays Mm-hmm. How do we know that it's time to plant them?
1: I guess it is a matter of observing the plants itself. If you're, if you, for example, if you do have a, in a seedling tray, um, you can see the height of them. You want to make sure that they've you know, grown their true leaves, which is the second set of leaves that come out from the growth. Obviously, the initial leaf is the little leaf that is hidden inside the seed, and that comes out to start the photosynthesis process. And once the true leaves come out, the second set of leaves appear, then you know that they're getting ready to almost be planted out. Um, but a good way to sort of t- to-, to check that is to gently take it out of the seedling tray and see the root system as well. So you want to make sure that it, it has a good little root system on it. Um, and it's from there, you can sort of work out and, and determine that it's ready to plant outside. Um, in the veggie bed
0: yeah well said because you know i think i've been there when you plant it too soon and there's not enough of that roots around or you know they don't no. have those true leaves there yeah 100 yeah
1: definitely definitely
0: so you know okay so now we know when we're going to plant them we know that they're ready to plant can you tell us about you know till versus no till what's the deal there um so you can go down you can go
1: down two routes and it's really is a matter of preference you know i wouldn't say one is better than the other Um, some people do you know prefer to till and some people prefer the no dig method Um, so tilling basically means that you're turning over and aerating the soil prior to sowing so that allows air and moisture into the soil Uh, whereas no dig is more of a layering process so rather than digging into the soil you're laying materials on top of the soil so you layer you know, some some compost or some leaf mold, old straw. You keep layering it up, like it's almost like a like a lasagna. You keep the different layers going up, and then the worms and the microbes will then work their magic and incorporate that down into the soil. So, as I said, there's no there's no right or wrong way to do it. Um, you know, I, I guess it is just a matter of preference.
0: Yeah, totally. So, I think um, you know, if we're trying to dig into a no-till bed that's really rock hard. That's Mm -hmm. just going to make our life harder. Um, And it probably means you're doing it wrong anyway if it's like that, would you say?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. So what are some advantages and disadvantages of using a container like a raised bed or a grow bag?
1: Uh, Well, raised beds and grow bags are are good as they are higher off the ground. Um, So they're always great for someone who might have uh, mobility issues and aren't able to, to get right down to ground level. Um, they can also be good for uh, people who may be renting. So you can set up the veggie bed or the grow bag, and then if you happen to to move down the track, you can always just unpack them and, and take them with you. Uh, and grow bags are great for things like um, small spaces. So if you only have a balcony or you're in, a, in an apartment with just a little balcony, you can grow your plants in, in a bag, grow bag on the balcony because it's all contained in that bag. Um, But I guess a disadvantage of those things, especially like a grow bag, is that you only have that limited amount of soil, so it can heat up really quickly and it can dry out really quickly as well. So um, you do have to keep an eye on that and you probably have to water them more often than you would as um, opposed to when they're planted in the ground.
0: Mm, Yeah, absolutely. I'm using grow bags because I'm in a renter situation right now and... Yeah, the water just gets sucked out of them at an alarming rate, and then once it becomes hydrophobic, you really have to work that water to get back into it again.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely can be tricky. Once once the hydrophobic, you know, once they do become hydrophobic, it is um, can be hard to to get that soil to start absorbing water again. Mm.
0: I don't want to throw too much of a curveball at you, but uh, what would you do if your growing you know, if your growing medium became hydrophobic?
1: I would try and aerate it as much as possible, and then I would also incorporate some compost into it. So you want to incorporate that uh, that material, that um, organic material like compost, that will help to absorb that moisture and help to, to bring it and, and, and pull it through the soil.
0: Hmm. I should clarify as well, um, we're talking about the, the potting medium here. I think that, that soil science is a very complex topic, way too complex than we could cover <laughs> here today, Michael. Yeah, yeah. I, I tried to cover it with Dr. Samantha Grover in episode two. So if anyone would like to know more about hydrophobic soil, go and check that one out. <laughs> <laughs> so what about methods of growing leafy greens that don't incorporate soil or potting mix?
1: You've got different options in that case. You can look at things like hydroponics. Um, or aquaponics, um, which are two, two processes that don't actually use a, a soil or a potting mix. Um, they're, they're similar methods, but uh, hydroponics, you would grow the plants in a medium like perlite or gravel or something like that. And then they sit in water, which is nutrient-rich, and it provides them with all, all the, the nutrients that they do need. Um, and with hydroponics, you generally, most times, uh, you're growing inside in a, in a temperature-controlled environment and usually under grow lights as well. Uh, something like aquaponics, which is very similar, rather than using um, like a synthetic nutrient water, you would have, say, two different tanks. You would have the plants growing in one tank and then you'd have another tank that has uh, fish in it, for example. And so you, you would have a pump that flows from the, the plant tank, where you've got the plants growing, into the fish tank, and they would circulate around. So the, the the water from the fish tank, which is then high nutrients from from the the waste of the fish, feeds the plants, and then it becomes it, it gets cleaned through the through the plants absorbing all the nutrients, and then it gets flowed, um pushed back into the into the fish tank, and then it's like a circular sort of circular system.
0: Hmm. So, yeah, plants don't really need soil. They do need nutrients and they do need oxygen.
1: Yeah, Um, yeah, definitely. Contrary
0: to contrary belief, they do need oxygen. (laughs) So, okay, depending on the size that we're planning to let our leafy greens reach, let's just go back to the potting mix now, you know, in a raised garden bed or whether it's just a garden bed on the ground. Yeah. The distance between our seedlings might differ. So Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on spacing your leafy greens out when planting?
1: Look. I'm a I'm a fly by the city of pants kind of guy. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, will,
1: yeah. I will just chuck them all in the bed and, and hope for the best. Um, and, you know, the packets are always great. Seed packets are great because they do give you a recommended spacing and that's obviously based on the size of the full-grown plant. Um, and they, they, that's a good option for you if you're, you know, if you're a, a new gardener and you're not really sure what you're doing. Um, but... If you do want to pack more into, you know, if you only have a small space, you only have a small veggie bed, um, I would definitely, you know, space them a little bit closer together because, you know, if they get a little bit too crowded, you could always just pull one out and, and, you know, no loss, no foul. So, yeah, Uh, just chuck them all in, chuck them all in and hope for the best, that's what I say.
0: (laughs) I'm with you. I'm with you. So, yeah, that's exactly what I like to do. You know, you thin out every second one and then suddenly you've got all the space there again. Why would I want to leave all of that space doing nothing?
1: Exactly, and then as um you know you can use those smaller, those that smaller growth um, and you can eat that. You can chuck them on your salads and things like that. Um, you know like microgreens, so you know the smaller little seedlings you can you can mm. pull those out and you can you can harvest those, and they're they're still nutrient dense. Um, and are a great little addition to you know salads and things like that.
0: Mm. And they might only take a few days to pop up. Exactly. So look. I'm someone who doesn't have access to full sun in my courtyards.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, can we grow leafy greens that only get part sunlight, or you know, should we just give up on growing altogether?
1: No, never. <laughs> you can definitely, you know, even if you only get a few hours of sunlight a day, you can still you can still grow, you know, most plants. Um, and leafy greens are pretty good. You know, they do say you're four to six hours of sunlight per day, um, but you know, as long as you, you're getting a few hours, you're still going to get those that growth and you're still going to be able to enjoy eating them at home.
0: Totally. And that's why I love leafy greens too, because, you know, tomatoes in my yard are a struggle because, or any kind of fruit or anything with a bulb, because it just takes so much energy to grow yeah, that crop as opposed sure. to leaves, which, you know, every crop has to initially go through that stage of growing leaves anyway. Exactly. So, all right, leafy greens do best when they're fed appropriately. They particularly need a lot of nitrogen to produce big, beautiful leaves, but they also require phosphorus, potassium, and a wide range of micronutrients to reach their full potential. So, mm-hmm. can you tell us what's Charlie Carp's nutrient profile like?
1: So, Charlie Carp is is a complete fertilizer. Uh, so it contains that you know all the macronutrients. You got you know nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus um it also contains things like uh calcium and magnesium and then it also has uh your micronutrients as well things like iron zinc and copper so it's a good well-rounded fertilizer um hmm. which is good you know good on all crops and so it definitely does well with with your leafy greens
0: yeah i mean it's made from fish so it's going to be exactly got that full spectrum
1: <laughs> yeah exactly and um with the fish you also have you know omega 3 as well so that's also good for your plant growth
0: you know, because it's a natural product, it is a full spectrum. Um, You know, it's got everything that's inside of a fish, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, just what it's been picking up from eating. So can you tell us about foliar application of liquid fertilisers and how does the uptake of plant nutrients differ between, you know, applying a fertiliser to the roots versus to the leaves?
1: Uh, So with a foliar foliar feed, um, the leaf itself can actually absorb some of those nutrients directly into their system rather than having to go down into the root system and then back up through the plant um, so you know Charlie Carp's great as a foliar feed as well um, so it gives you those nutrients and it they can they can absorb it quicker so it sort of activates quicker within the within the plant itself.
0: Yeah, so, you know, um, it's just a a more efficient way of getting those nutrients into the plant, isn't it? So Mm -hmm. we've got the compost in the soil, you know, and the charlie carp, you know, it's going to make its way from the leaves into the soil, and it's also going to be able to provide a bit of nutrients in there as well, as well as the organic matter too. We can't forget. It is an organic fertilizer. Exactly. There's also a non-organic one, but it's still organic, like made from an organism.
1: Exactly, yes.
0: (laughs) So, what's the optimal number of Charlie Carp lid caps to use in a nine-litre watering can for leafy greens, and how far would that last? Uh, so,
1: with Charlie Carp, they recommend that you use ten mils per litre. So, a lid cap is just over ten mils. So, it's about thirteen mils. Um, so, you know, you're looking at, uh, you know, for nine litres, I'd probably just chuck nine, nine lid caps full into the, into the into the watering can. And in regards to how far it would spread, I, I use it on, you know, my veggie beds are about, I think they're about two metres by one metre. So with a nine-litre watering can, it gets a good covering of all of the plants in that bed.
0: Yeah. So, you know, we're not looking to drench the soil necessarily, are we?
1: No, no. You just want to, you want to be able to get those nutrients there and then they'll get drawn down into the soil anyway um, and the roots will take those up.
0: So, how often should we apply that amount of Charlie Carp to our greens
1: uh, during the growing season? I'd probably apply every couple of weeks,
0: mm.
1: which is a good a good application every couple of weeks. Um, and then, you know, if it's not, you know, the height of their growing season, maybe monthly.
0: Mm.
1: You can you can give them water monthly to help sort of amend that soil and 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 keep it healthy.
0: Yeah, totally. So. How can gardeners use the Charlie Carp pellets to increase their soil carbon, water retention and plant available nutrients?
1: Uh, So pellets are a good option because they are a slow release fertilizer. So they last about three months. Um, So you would use less of it because you only need to use it, you know, probably four times a year Mm -hmm. to add those pellets. Um, But it's a good way to do it um and it has less uh of a fishy smell to it as well if you if you don't you know you're not keen on on the sort of that natural fertilizer smell um you can use the pellets as a
0: as a good alternative my wife and i always go back and forth on this i love the smell of charlie carp but really? <laughs> she can't stand it yeah i would have it indoors no, if i, I could
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no it is you know i don't i don't i'm outside gardening all the time and all, all those sorts of you know fertilizers that you have the you yeah. have the clients come out and they're like, What is that smell? And you're like, it's a fertilizer. And they're like they're like, Oh, it doesn't smell great. I'm like, No, I think it smells right,
0: actually. Yeah. The yeah. only one for me is blood and bone. That's the one I don't yeah, like. Nah. <laughs> no.
1: You can pass on the blood and bone, yeah. definitely.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. So what are the pros and cons of using an organic fertilizer only versus using an inorganic fertilizer only versus maybe a mix of the two different types of fertilizer?
1: So Charlie Cup has the two options. It has an organic version and then a non-organic version. So the organic fertilizer does have a lower NPK rating um, as, as the non-organic. So, it is obviously used by clients and growers who are certified organic and need that for their, you know, certification for their plants and things like that. Um, uh, it's also great for, you know, anyone who prefers to go down the organic route um, to make sure that they know exactly what's going into their into their plants. Uh, it does, you know, because it does have that lower MPK rating, you would probably need to apply it a little bit more often. Then you would say the 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 um, all-purpose fertilizer. So the all-purpose one is great for um, your seasonal crops um, and pastures, and it um, they, say, they say professionally it's used um, a lot for market gardeners. The the all-round the well-rounded one. Mm.
0: So it's just basically Charlie Carp on steroids. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So. Now it's their favourite time, or I mean, for me, it's one of my favourite times about gardening other than just watching the little insects all going around eating each other. Mm-hmm. It's time to reap what we've sown. So there are a few different ways that we can harvest those leafy greens. We can prune the leaves individually, which is something I love to do, or we can harvest the whole plant and then replace it with a new one. Do you have any tips for harvesting leafy greens?
1: Uh, I guess it depends on what you're wanting them for. So... You know, things like your salad greens, your lettuces, and all that sort of thing. If, you know, there's only two of you in the house, um, just pulling out the outer leaves and using those in your salad is a good way to go because then you've got the plant still there continuing to grow, meaning that you can use it again in future. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if you've got a bigger family, you can always just take out the, the whole plant and, and obviously replant again. But your other thing, you know, your spinaches and your silver beet are definitely a bit more of a, a, a cut and come again um mm. type of green because they're so prolific and 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 quite abundant you you would be eating a lot of um spinach and silverbeet in your it'd just be a big bowl of, of silverbeet or yeah. spinach to, 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 yeah, for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> um, so unless you're, unless you're feeding an army um you would definitely just pull out a few you know a few outer leaves and, and and cook that into your food
0: mm. and even when the you know those uh the spinach or the silverbeet are younger you can also harvest pretty much all the leaves, if Mm -hmm. you chop it just above where that stem finishes. So if you still have that little apical tip, which is where all the stem cells are, you're still going to be able to grow more leafy greens from that plant.
1: And you can do that with yeah, definitely. You can do that with some lettuces as well. You just sort Mm. of chop the top off um, and then it will just regrow the whole plant again.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: It's a good way to go. You're getting bang for your buck.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you don't have to (laughs) replant again. It still has all those roots there available, holding all that energy ready to go. Yeah,
1: it, definitely.
0: So, look, I'm on a Chinese medicine sort of a kick at the moment and, you know, I'm not eating so much leafy greens in my salads anymore, but I still grow them. Like, ha- tell us about leafy greens as, you know, a cooked dish. Like, are leafy greens only for salads or are they also for, for, for you know, cooking?
1: No, not at all. Although they're the same salad greens and leafy greens that, you know, fall under the whole leafy green banner you know, I would say your salads, your salad greens, your lettuce and things like that. Great for salads, but you know, you, they don't just have to be for salads either. You know, you can use them in burgers, you can use them in sandwiches and things like that. And then you have your your other leafy greens, You, as we've mentioned before, things like spinach, um, silverbeet, chard, kale, um, even the Asian greens, you know, your pak choy, your tatsoi, all those sorts of things. They're great in cooked food. So, um, you know, you can you can cook them into pasta sauces. You can cook them into stir fries, um, and they taste great cooked mm. up into into those meals.
0: You know, for me, like I've been cooking cos lettuce, and I love it. I love cos oh, lettuce really? cooked. It's really yeah. good, man. You got to try it. Yeah, I love it. Like in a broth, like in a really stocky uh, kind yeah, of a yeah, broth with sure. lots yeah, of no, garlic. So- yeah, yeah, really good. I have to give it a go. So at the end of every episode, there's always one thing I like to ask every guest. Michael, is there anything else you want the listeners to know about?
1: I don't know, just, just to get out there and give it a go. You know, it's not going to, you know, it, you may fail, it may not work, but try and try again and, and, and you'll, eventually, you'll eventually get it.
0: That's it. And if you can't get leafy greens, you're in trouble. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for your time, Michael.
1: That's all right, no worries.
0: European carp may not have many natural predators in Australia, but they sure do make a great fish emulsion fertilizer. If you don't have any Charlie carp handy, it might be time to pick some up next time you're at Bunnings, Mitre 10 or your local nursery. An undiluted bottle goes a long way. You can either mix it up in a watering can, or you can buy a bottle with a hose attachment, which will mix the perfect dilution for you without any decanting required. Make sure you check out episode 122 of the Plants Grow Here podcast, where I interviewed Charlie Carp's managing director Ron Koponica about how Charlie Carp are keeping one of Australia's biggest ecological pests numbers down.